What's up, everybody? This is Bobby Moynihan. I play Orca on Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is my review of The Mandalorian, Chapter 9, The Marshal. We are back with a second season of The Mandalorian, hopefully the second of several, uh, but it is back in a big way, and i uh, so excited uh, to talk about uh, what I thought about it, what my son Little Han thought about it. Wait, this episode just exceeded expectations to get us back on track. I mean, the first season was great, I enjoyed talking about it. In all the episodes, um, I had the review episode uh, with my friends from Jam Transmissions. And, you know, we've heard, you know, the you know news from Hollywood Re- Wood Reporter, the rumors about casting for bigger roles, uh, the guest roles, about what we might see in this season. Didn't get too much from the trailers. They were trying to keep it close to the vest. Um, but we started out with a bang with some stuff I never thought I'd see. Um, so there's lots, lots of goodness to talk about today. Uh, let's get into it. Um, uh, this episode was written and directed by show creator, John Favreau. Um, and you know, he's written now seven of the nine episodes, but this is the first one directed by him and you can see why, and we'll talk about it. Um, this was clearly the most cinematic of um, uh, the nine episodes so far. And before I get into the episode, it's important. Um, of course, this is a spoiler review. I assume you've already seen it. Um, to talk about Cobb Vanth and where we've seen him before. Because this was one of the big surprises, revelations of the series that they are using a character that originated in the books. Um, You know, they've done that with Thrawn being on Rebels. And I've tried to think. Yeah, like we just recently had the Star Wars Squadrons come out and Ray Sloan makes a semi-live-action appearance in that. So uh, there's situations like that, but uh, Cobb Vanth is one of the first. um, Well, we had, um, let me see, Alice Akira and uh, Quinlan Voss indirectly were both comic book Jedi who showed up in the movies, you know, something like that, um, but of new canon books for a character invented there to show up in live action is uh, groundbreaking and just kind of opened Pandora's box of what we might get later. 
So as you may or may not know, Cobb Vanth first appeared in Aftermath, uh, the trilogy of books by Chuck Wendig that involved uh, the immediate aftermath, of course, of um, the Battle of Endor and the destruction of the Death Star leading into the Battle of Jakku and the end of the Empire. Um, and I should say, I took a kind of an informal poll on Twitter and Facebook and asked people when Cobb Vanth appeared on screen, had you seen, had you heard of him before? And um, I had over 40 responses and 74% of respondents said yes, they had read the Aftermath books and had already knew about the character. Um, now, keeping in mind, you know, uh, people who follow would um, maybe be a little more immersive into Star Wars than like your casual f viewer of the show. So, but still, likelier than not that people knew who this character was going in. Um, just in case you haven't read Aftermath or don't know the full story. Um, and I'll get into it more when we get to the flashback scene. It's a very close adaptation of the book version of the character and how he came to have Boba Fett's armor and um, being the marshal of Mos Pelga, uh, known as Freetown in the book. So, yeah, just to preface there, it's, he's a book character, so that's why some of us were, you know, when we get to that scene, um, when he takes off his helmet, we're like, holy crap, they actually did it. And they brought that character into, the, into live action. Uh, before I get into the actual review, um, I do want to let little Han give his, his thoughts. Um, this didn't happen during the first season. He um, was still, you know, we were resistance was still on, and that was where his main interest was. So he didn't, um, you know, watch Mandalorian with me each week. So I didn't get a chance, really, a chance to include him on the reviews. Um, but this season, uh, he's been he's been more interested, and he's been counting down the days with me to the season premiere. And plus, we've had some upgrades at the Radio Dakar base um, to where we can, um, we can come downstairs while everybody else is sleeping and watch it in the wee hours of the morning because we're on the East Coast, so it, mean, it means the episodes drop about 3 a.m. Uh, we just get up early before he has to go to school, and that's what we did this week. Uh, so right after the episode was over, I recorded, uh, what his thoughts were. Uh, it's kind of brief, but, um, you know, I want to make sure I, um, each week that I, um, include his instant thoughts, uh, from what he saw. Uh, so, uh, let's hear from little Han and I will be back. Hello. Welcome back. To Radio Dakar. 
with your host, Little Han. So, we just watched the second episode of Mandalorian. Guess what we saw? We saw Boba Fett's armor, and we saw Boba Fett. A clone of it. So, don't get too excited. If you miss somebody, here he is. <laughs> so, did you like the episode? Yes, I did. Alright, so uh, what all did you like about it? Tell me. I love that um, Boba Fett was in it. Yeah, it, it sure looked like him. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be Jengo's son after all these years. So... But I mean, we found out about Cobb Vanth, and he had the armor all those years. Yeah. You know? And you know, what else did you like? Was there not any... really much anything else? No, you seem to enjoy the episode, though, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. That's my favorite. <laughs> that's your part fa- of it. The Boba Fett's your favorite part. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's gonna be a lot of people's favorite part. So. Yeah. All right, but that that was a good episode on Tatooine. So. All right, well, we got seven more episodes this season. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do it again next Friday. How about that? Yeah. Okay, well, t- well, well, if that's all you got to say, we'll end this segment for now, okay? Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, so let's get into the uh, episode. I'm going to go through and uh, point out some cool stuff and just some general observations. Uh, so the cold open is on a new planet. Um, you know, it's in a like a, a kind of a rundown. Well, not rundown, but you know, it's a city, a lot of, a lot of graffiti. It's uh, where they have like underground fights. Um, we, I kind of waited to do the review so that I could see if they dropped an episode guide. Uh, they did. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday. Uh, they did with like official photos from the episode and the concept art that's in the during the credits, but not uh, like tidbits. Kind of did the last season where they didn't reveal all the planet names till later. Um, but it's it was kind of like you know you think it's um, it's probably just one city, but um, could be like you know Cantonica where there's Canto Bight and then not much else on the planet or is it you know kind of like Corellia where there's cities and stuff anyway um so Din Djarin is there to see Gore Koresh um because he's looking for other Mandalorians he's trying to you know uh, find his find his way through the underground covert now that they're scattered off Navarro um, so we get, you know, the Gamorreans having not really a wrestling match or anything because they're using their vibro axes, which the, the vibro, uh, effects on the, on, uh, on these are really cool. They did that with the, um, oh, the Trandoshans in, uh, uh, chapter two last year. Um, so it's, yeah, it's cool to see them fighting. Um, you know, that was the maquette that John Favreau shared at the end of season one. Uh, so we get that scene, you know, there's a few other aliens in the crowd. Uh, Gore Koresh was voiced, at least, I'm not sure if it was played by, 
uh, John Leguizamo, who I don't know if he's done anything lately, but you know he was did a lot of work in the '90s. Um, he was Luigi in the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, I thought his role here was appropriate because in the Spawn movie, uh, based on the comic book in '98. Um, he played the clown, which was like the, one of the villains in the movie. And yeah, that's why I kind of wonder if he was in the makeup because he was heavily made up in that movie and it was awesome. Uh, on a side note, he also did, he had, he had a uh, show on Fox called the John Leguizamo show, which was sketch comedy. And he did this one sketch and it was like, um, him, him and three others, and they were doing like these Latino punks, and you know, be like the start of a, some sketch, but then it would like go to snowy uh, picture, and then they would come back on, and he would come on and say, "We interrupt your regularly scheduled program," and you know, he would like uh, say words like that. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the you know, like what he was talking about, but he would say rural instead of rural. So, I mean, that was almost 30 years ago, and I still say rural. Anyway, I, I, I digress. But yeah, great to, say, uh, great to hear John Leguizamo on the show. Um, you know, they so the, the search for the Mandos kind of sets up the plot of season two, at least as far as we can tell. Also, you know, Gore Koresh mentions the value of Beskar, um, how, you know, it's increasingly rare, it's more valuable. And so, you know, you wonder if that'll come into play later with Boba's armor, since he has it. Although I think the, that armor's not getting melted down. That is going to be pursued by its previous owner. My cat is going crazy tonight. I don't give him catnap, I really don't, but, um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of this was in the trailer, um, where he's going to use, um, Whispering Bird and, uh, uh, the child, Tiny, um, you know, hits the button, so he hides in the pram while that's going on, um, but then, you know, he catches Gore Koresh outside, hangs him upside down uh, for info. You know, promises he won't he won't die by his hand, but he leaves him to be killed by other means, which is very Batman-like. I mean, he had some Batman similarities in the first season. They're continuing with that. It helps when it's the same writer for most of the episodes. You know, he keeps the continuity. Um, but he reveals that uh, he knows of a Mandalorian on Tatooine. Uh, so, there we go. We're back to Tatooine. And I gotta say, as soon as, you know, well, when he mentions he saw Mandalorian on Tatooine, you're like, oh, could it be Boba's armor? Could it be Cobb Vanth? And then as soon as you see that the title of the episode is The Marshal, you're like, okay, they're they're really doing it. They are doing the Cobb Vanth story. Or at least a continuation of it, because uh, the events in Aftermath take place about five years before this episode um and I gotta say 
just even on the approach to Mos Eisley, uh, Tatooine it looks so much better than Chapter 5 last year. Um, which, you know, I no, know no, it's one episode, but just the production value looks gr- much greater, even though it's still a Disney Plus show. I mean, obviously, they pump, pumps more budget into it once they realized it was going to take off. But, I mean, it, you know, we're kind of spoiled because we, you know, since then we have found out about the volume and, you know, they've done a lot of behind the scenes, like with the Disney Gallery show. But, you know, like, yeah, like I say, the approach to Moss Eisley and later on with the battle with the Crate Dragon, you're like, how did they do this on the volume? It looks like they're on location. So, yeah, just massive scale for this episode. Um, but we're back to um, Pelimato's garage, so we get to see Amy Sedaris again and uh, the pit droids, who I'm still convinced that one of the pit droids is Glenn from Resistance, and he just gets tired of all the crap and, you know, <laughs> heads to Castellan someday or gets found by a Flix and Orca. That's, that's still my headcanon until proven otherwise. So then Mando's looking for Mos Pelgo. Can't find it on the map. So our old friend R5-D4 is there. Um, uh, He made a guest appearance in the cantina last year. Um, But it is so great to see that that that's actually him. And um, he still has the the spot where he had the bad motivator. Um, Man, it makes me wish I had bought the Black Series R5 when... They re-released him for the 40th anniversary of A New Hope uh, three years ago. Because I always thought he was a... Even when I had him as a Kenner figure, I always thought he was a cool droid and, you know, unique enough from R2. But it's it's neat to see him back. And, you know, it's logical. Like, Jawas fixed him up enough to sell him. And, you know, whether he passed around to a couple of masters, you know, it makes sense for him to wind up with, uh, with Pelly. And so uh, R5 has an old pre-war map of Tatooine so that she can show Mando how to get to Mos Pelgo or what used to be called Mos Pelgo. And uh, this is a neat little tidbit. Um, uh, I've mentioned it before, but Little Han loves to play Disney Infinity on uh, the PlayStation. And that was the, the game where you had to buy the little figures to put on a base. That way you could play that figure in the game. And, you know, his original microtransactions you're you know about seven bucks a pop for all those figures they're not making the game anymore or updating it but we managed to get all the star wars figures for the game and the figures came with these little they call them play sets but they're basically like game pieces to where you can play like a prequel game uh, called twilight of the republic and an original trilogy game called rise rise against the empire the third one was just Force Awakens because it was that far back. But in uh, Twilight, you play Tatooine as a level, but it's Mos Espa. And then uh, in Rise Against the Empire, it's um, Tatooine level, but it's um, Mos Eisley slash Jabba's Palace. And the Starlight Pits there and all that. So Lil Han loves the game, plays, beat all of those little playset games. 
And, you know, one day he's like, so where's Moss Eisley in relation to Moss Espa? And, you know, I'm not totally sure. I'm going off the, like, Kenner slash Hasbro in the late 90s did those planet um, sets where it's like a, you know, miniature globe. And then it opens up and has, like, a, a mini diorama with one of the figures. So, like, the Tatooine was Luke, um, and it's, like, looks like the Sarlacc pit. And it had, like, Mos Espa and Mos Eisley, like, on opposite ends of the planet, kind of marked on there. So, you know, I'm telling them that. I was like, yeah, they're, they're not too close together. So, it, it was neat that they actually did, a like, a global map to show you, like, where the different towns are so it's nice of them to answer his question there uh, so um, Din Djarin's going to go out there um, boy uh, Tiny loves riding speeder bikes doesn't he uh, especially when he's not, not getting fired at he enjoyed his ride this time uh, so they make it out to Mos Pelgo I mean it looks like you know, your typical old west town, uh, small, just a few buildings. Uh, this one in particular, they do, uh, do mining there, which is out of the book. Um, you know, they've got the tavern and the Weequay bartender. Uh, it was this is cool. It's played by W. Earl Brown, who actually looked this up about a year ago. Um, he, he, he's a great character actor. He's been in tons of stuff. He was, um, Mary's brother Warren in Something About Mary. And, uh, yeah, about six months ago, I, uh, there's something about Mary was on one of the regular channels and I'm watching it and I was like, oh, you know, I was just wondering, is the actor who played Warren special needs or is he just acting so I looked him up on IMDB and, and it turns out he's no he's not special needs but he just played the role really well and um, so I started looking at his other movies and like he was in Scream so he was uh, the uh, Gail's cameraman in Scream and he's been in other stuff so um, I think it okay I don't I should, uh, I should have written it down but I think he was in Justified which is why he, they cast him for this because he's basically done the, the role anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's great to see him doing Star Wars. And he tweeted about it. Um, so that was neat. So then they don't waste any time who shows up but a guy wearing green Mandalorian armor. And it's... Um, well, I had the subtitles on so that I didn't miss any like tidbits. Um, but it actually said Cobb Vanth, you know, in his first line. So I'm like, they actually did it. And there he is. And um, to, uh, it can also confirmed the that report by the Hollywood Reporter. It, it's uh, Timothy Oliphant playing him. Although, I swear, when he took off the helmet, um, he looks like Pierce Brosnan with a beard. It's kind of like... It, like Timothy Oliphant, um, Pierce Brosnan, and Josh Duhamel are kind of looking all the same nowadays. 
Um, yeah, so here we are. Timothy Oliphant is playing a book character brought to life. Side note, um, if you're a fan of Kevin Smith like me and his films, um, he does the Evening with Kevin Smith uh, Q&A DVDs. Some of those are amazing, like where you just tell stories at colleges and stuff. Um, like the, on the first uh, one he ever did, like he tells a story about like doing a documentary for Prince and um, uh, his story about writing a Superman movie is incredible. The one that Nicolas Cage was going to be in. Um, but in the third one, it's called A Three Evening with Kevin Smith. He does a segment on... He's talking about when he started getting like minor roles and movies that he's not that he didn't write or anything. Like he was um in Die Hard Four. But in this kind of the same segment, and it's on YouTube, but you know, buy the DVD, it's worth it. Um, he talks about um having a role in catch and release, and Timothy Oliphant was in that one. He talks about working with him, and he called him uh Timothy Oliphantastic. Um and I, if you go on my Twitter, at Radio Dakar, I posted a link to that story, and it's pretty funny. So, um, Ollie Fantastic. That, that's what I'll probably call him the rest of this review. Um, you know, they um, he uh, gets Spotchka from the, uh, from the bar, which is um, the drink that was being made on Sorgan in Chapter 4 from uh, the little krill that were being harvested. Uh, so that was neat. Um, also shows you, like, you know, how important it was for the uh, Omera and her people to, um, you know, harvest for uh, for Spotchka because it's you know used around the galaxy, and um, also why the Clatuinians would be so interested in it because they could make money off of it. Um, so, you know, they're having this standoff and, and actually little, little Han didn't know what that was because he's like, why are they just standing there? You know, when, like the shot of the, the uh, gun in the holster and I'm like, they're having a standoff. That means they're about to, you know, one that's about to shoot the other. <laughs> um, and you you wonder, like at this point, are they just, you know, is it just going to be like Mando shoots him and takes the armor? Um, but no, uh, the ground starts quaking and, uh, there's a great dragon, which, you know, we have known about those since A New Hope because that's the skeleton that 3PO walks by and after they land the escape pod, um, so to actually see it, um, in live action. I was going to talk about it later, but I'll just go ahead and mention it. There's a, now, this goes back... It was never concrete, but... When the prequels were being developed... And you didn't know the exact timeline, like... You know, how much would we see Obi-Wan's time on Tatooine... In maybe episode three, early on... You know, before we found it, it was before it turned out to be the end of the movie. 
Um, you know, there was a rumor like, yeah, we'll see Obi-Wan kill the crate Dragon, and that's the bones that are left behind. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's been there that long. Um, that we might see one of these, and finally we do. And it's it's pretty awesome that it's like a, a burrowing creature, you know, that people have talked about, you know, it's like Dune, it's like um, Tremors. I, I thought of the sandworms and Beetlejuice. Um, even uh, kind of hints of Godzilla, the 98 one with Matthew Broderick, because um, that lizard kind of burrowed. Uh, so yeah, it turns out he's terrorizing the town. Um, so then instead of you know, quick dispatching of Cobb Vanth, um, you know, Din Djarin makes a deal with him. He'll help kill the dragon for the armor. And, um, yeah, so, so the episode went not in the direction you would expect, but it turned out to be awesome. Uh, so they, you know, they're going to go out, uh, to where it, where it hides, and then we, um, of course, and then we get a look at Cobb, uh, Cobb Vance's speeder bike, which, well, you immediately notice it's a racer engine, but then turns out it's probably Anakin's from um, from his pod racer, which, um, and this is explained in the. Aftermath. Uh, Cobb was a former slave, so it would make sense that, like, if, if he was in that that like that neighborhood in Mos Espa, um, that after Anakin left and maybe Watto sold the parts later on, so maybe he's had that speeder for a long time. But that wasn't explained in the episode, but that makes sense to me that that's where he would have gotten it from because he may have known Anakin or or at least, you know, being lived in those same slave quarters and so would have had access to the engine. <laughs> we were watching, uh, watching that scene and little Han's like, yeah, I want to get that toy. I'm like, yeah, they needed to do that. Which for him means he probably wants the Lego set, which, I mean, do it. Make a Din Djarin and Cobb Vanth two-speeder bike set, you know, 20 bucks. I'll get it for him. But then I'm immediately thinking, like, yeah, that needs to be a Black Series because they, um, for um, Mando Monday last week, they announced that they're doing the Biker Scout with speeder bike and Tiny in the Pouch. Um, from chapter eight and uh, that was a pre-order on Amazon. It's coming in January. I can't wait. So yeah, do a black series scale speeder bike. I, I will totally buy it. I will buy a Cobb Vanth figure too, which I've got to think that's going to happen soon because Hasbro has the thing lately where they're doing just very, you know, because it's simple to them. It's like clones, stormtroopers, Man Mandalorians. They're doing more of those lately than, you know, it's like, um, for the Gal uh, Galaxy's Edge stuff at Target, they just, they did Captain Cardinal 
because they can easily do another Stormtrooper, and they haven't done Vimerati yet, which, come on, we need a Vimerati figure. But yeah, I fully expect Cobb Vanth soon. So then we get the flashback, which basically retells the Aftermath story. Um, first thing I want to mention, though, um, you know, it takes it back to the, after the destruction of the Death Star, and they show... There's like a holonet video of it being destroyed. That video is um, has already been seen. <clears throat> it was in the Uprising mobile game, which came out the fall of nine ninety five, uh, the fall of twenty fifteen, uh, before the Force Awakens. Uh, about the same time Aftermath came out, the first book. It um. It was a it was a fun mobile game. It was about um, the No White Sector, which was Bespin Hoth, you know that area from Empire, um, where there's an Imperial warlord there who's trying to quell news of the crumbling of the Empire and keep the control there. So you, you play as like a local and you're trying to um, move planet to planet and. you know, get other people, um, to help them out as the rebellion has won. But yeah, so they show that same video in the game and it's in the, the trailer. You can see that on YouTube. So I thought that was neat continuity that, you know, that's the video that went viral to show the galaxy that, um, Death Star had been destroyed, that the Emperor had died, apparently. Didn't know back then. Um, and, you know, that explains all the celebrations at the end of Return of the Jedi. And So, yeah, that, that was really cool. Um, but then we see that, like, um, um, but then immediately um, the mi um, mining, not the mining guild, what were they called in the episode? You know, the mining corporation showed up and immediately tried to take over the town and uh, Cobb escaped with a Camtono, turned out to have valuable um, silicax crystals inside. And so once he was rescued by the Jawas, that's how he um, was able to barter for the, the armor and went back and saved the town and became the marshal. That's... Not exactly how it went in the book. Uh, in the, it, it, you know, if you haven't if, if you haven't read it, um, you know, check check it out. Check out the books, or um, Wikipedia has a just look up Cobb Vanth on Wikipedia and it'll give you the whole story. Um, basically, involves uh, the name of the group is the Red Key Raiders, who show up uh, to take over the mining town, and then. Um, Cobb is on at the sand crawler with um, a character named Charu, and he takes the. They they find the armor on the sand crawler, and then Cobb takes it from him. Uh, takes it from Charu, and puts it on. and goes back and liberates the town, and then it becomes it's called Freetown after that. 
which I thought they would mention in the episode, but they kind of glossed over it, so maybe it went back to being called Mos Pelgo after that. Um, once he maintained the law and order, kept the sand people away and all that. So, doesn't exactly jive, but it could be like, um, like in Last Jedi, when they keep retelling the the flashback, uh, the, the Rashomon um, perspective, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, the way he tells it to Din Djarin is more heroic. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm rescued and I'm able to buy the armor and go back. So anyway, yeah, so. Now, uh, oh, I did notice maybe a continuity error. The Jawas in the flashback have red eyes, like the off-world Jawas we saw in season one instead of the yellow eyes that are typical of Tatooine Jawas, so I don't know if that was, you know, they were just reusing costumes or whatever. <laughs> did happen to notice that. Uh, also, um, the, this was kind of neat. They, now, for the, those of you who read the Legends comics, you know, Boba Fett did return in uh, Dark Empire. Um, but... In the original Marvel comics, in uh, Star Wars issue eighty-two, which I read like like randomly, I, I didn't collect the Marvel comics as a kid. I was I read all the Transformers Marvel comics, um, but by chance I was at my friend John Stevenson's house, and he had that issue eighty-two, and I read it. I think, and he wound up giving it to me because I liked it so much. Um, in that issue, um. The Sarlacc actually spat out Boba Fett after the battle. And then he, he was like comatose. and um, So the Jawas found him and brought him aboard the Sandcrawler. And he, like he had amnesia. And um, by chance, um, Han went back to um, uh, Tatooine to collect some old debts to him, you know, to, to get some money. And then... Like, he, he um, R2's captured uh, by the Jawas, so, like, he winds up on the same sand crawler. And Boba um, doesn't remember, it, you know, he has amnesia, so he doesn't remember, remember Han. Um, but then at the end, like, his, his memory snaps back, and he's about to confront Han, but I'm really glossing over the story, but um, the entire sand crawler goes into the Sarlacc pit, so he dies again. But I wonder—I always wondered if Chuck Wendig kind of adapted that to where you know it was the Jawas who had the armor, whereas in the comic they had the armor and Boba Fett. Um, so that that was kind of neat that um, you know all these years later it's. At least honors that story. Um, also, really liked in the flashback when he's, you know, fighting the men and the, the mining guys in the town, and then uses his rocket to take out their uh, speeder. Uh, I mean, keep in mind who directed this. Um, that looks a lot like the scene in the first Iron Man when he uh, goes to the town and destroys the tank. Um, see, I think John Favreau used a lot of his, um, well, even when, 
any, any scene where the Mandos fly, I mean, he's really using his um, Iron Man um, uh, work uh, to get that look. So they, uh, so Cobb and Din uh, go to the Tuscan village to get help. And yeah, I got to give a shout out to where the scene where they're flossing uh, the Bantha's teeth with the gaffy sticks. And um, oh, a little Han thought it was neat, and he was like, "They have the what are those creatures?" I'm like, oh, "Those are Tuscan Raiders dogs, kind of, you know." And, you know, they, they had him in Attack of the Clones. It was the same design. And so he, th- he thought that was neat. It's like, they have dogs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, um, you know, they're still using the sign language that was uh, developed in season, in Chapter 5, um, which I, I know they used a deaf actor in Chapter 5. I'm not sure if they did that again here, but at least it keeps... Um, the continuity and so when they're having the uh, the fireside um, conversation to um, get the Tuscans help to uh, kill the Krayt Dragon you know Vanth is getting agitated at the Tuscans um, not wanting to go along with their plan you know getting confrontational that is exactly what Din Djarin did in Chapter 2 with the Jawas when they wanted his help to go get the egg from the Mudhorn. Um, so I thought that was a really neat callback. Um, it show, Well, yeah, it's, it's a parallel, but it also shows Din's growth because he he's like, I've been in that situation, so I need to be... You know, I know how to be a peacemaker and you know communicate um, with the other group to get what we need. So yeah, that that was really cool. Um, you know, for character growth and you know just a proper callback. Also, like cops discussed with the that whatever fruit juice they were wanting him to drink. It, it, I don't know if it was intentional, but it reminded me of um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, when they're in the uh, the village in um, uh, Willie doesn't want to eat the food. Um, so anyway, and yes, they. I didn't notice this on first viewing. People had to point it out, but yes, the Tuscans ride in single file every time we see them in this episode, and that was awesome. Um, when they're when they're at the Sarlacc cave, um, trying to lure out the great dragon the first time, uh, one of the Tuscans is using Quadnox, which um, could they be uh, Toro Caligan's Quadnox from Chapter Five? Is that the same group of Tuscans? Um, that would be a neat, neat too. A lot of good continuity here. Okay, so then, um, oh, I did feel sorry for the Tuscan who got eaten. 
I went, you know, I went, aw. <laughs> and little Han's like, what? It's like, hey, you got eaten. It's not nice. Um, so then they're making the plan, and they're doing the little scale thing, which, you know, like, like in Con Air, <laughs> you know, when they're trying to make the plan to get the plane up again. Um, but then they're, they're talking about, you know, is this to scale? <laughs> um, um, shout out to my friend Kevin Kent, who's, um, uh, big, as big a Star Wars fan as me. Um, hey Kevin, um, this was his favorite part <laughs> when they were here, when they were, um, talking about, is this to scale or not? Um, so then, you know, they decide, um, well, Dan volunteers, um, the people of Mos Pogo to help out, um, and they have like the town meeting, which is, you know, just typical, you know, the old uh, Western trope there, um, to get them to help. And then, you know, we get some more of the same things like, you know, Weekways saying, we've heard the stories of the Mandalorian and, you know, Cobb a couple of times mentioned how good the Mandos are at killing, um, you know that's that's kind of the same stuff from season one, and talk, it's um, that's all they have to go off now is legends of the Mandalorians. They haven't, you know, nobody's actually seen them in action, but they all hear the same thing. So just you know, makes you wonder how that's going to pay off. You know, do they return in force and? You know, what happens to them as a culture? I'll be interested to see. So then we get to the climax where uh, the Tuscans and the uh, citizens of Maspelgo are uh, going to try to kill the crate dragon. And I, again, I, was, I talked about it before, just the scale of this climax. And, I mean, think about it. There's tons of extras in this scene. Uh, I think this is why... I'm, I'm guessing John Favreau made the decision to go ahead and direct it himself because he knew he could handle a production like this. I mean, I mean, this is the biggest thing outside of the movies that they've done. And, it, I mean, it just looked incredible. And... And when they get to the actual, you know, the battle, I'm kind of speeding up at this point, but, you know, the battle's just so amazing. Um, you know, we little Han and I were just sitting here watching, and I was like, man, this is massive. And um, I think, as it turns out, I'm thinking that because the aspect ratio changed where they went, like, full um, uh, 16 by 9. And I didn't, yeah, you have to go back and watch it to realize when it actually happens and when it goes back at the very end. So, yeah, I thought maybe it's just because we were, because we had the new setup and we were watching it on a bigger screen than usual. Because um, usually we're using, like, the bedroom TV, which is smaller. Um, but, yeah, we're watching it, and it's just like, you know movie quality uh, fight scene here and 
So yes, yeah, just amazing, visually. Um, oh, and I, I didn't play it, so I didn't catch this, but a bit uh, for what I've read, um, this is straight out of Knights of the Old Republic. Um, the mission uh, to kill the crate dragon, get the pearl. Um, so that's why you know they they harvested it in the end. And I mean, how cool was it to see both Din and Cobb use the jetpacks, fly up, um, up on the rock face to try to fight the Kray Dragon up there while it's spewing acid? <laughs> Didn't expect that, and that was pretty awesome. And then, um, you know, and still where uh, Din hits the uh, Cobb's backpack. And causes him to fly off, just like happened to Boba five years before. And then, um, you know, it's about this point in the episode where I was like, man, Tiny hasn't done much. He's just been like a, you know, passive observer and kind of the comic relief. Like he's poking his head up because he's been scared of what's ever going, whatever's going on. And, you know, you kind of wondered, like, he's been watching this whole time. Will he use the Force to do something about the crate Dragon? And then, you know, kind of like he did with the Mudhorn. And kind of prove the size matters not philosophy. You know, if he can stop a Mudhorn, maybe he can stop a crate Dragon long enough for them to kill him. But no, he... I mean, he didn't really do much in this episode. That's fine. It was more about uh, the abilities of Den and... Uh, the, the partnerships and alliances he he made in this episode. So it's fine for him to take a back seat. The show's still the Mandalorian. We all we all love Baby Yoda though. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this whole episode has been so surreal. It's like. There's a scene where the Mandalorian and a guy in Boba Fett's armor fight a great dragon. And we got to see that. So, yeah, just, just incredible that this actually happened. Um, and then, yeah, you got to feel bad for the Bantha that had all the explosives strapped to him that he was used as bait and, you know, and doing the... And the men in black thing where he intentionally gets swallowed so he can, you know, blow him up from the inside. Um, oh, yeah, Drax did it in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 also. Um, yeah, and the visual where he, like, Din flies back out and he had, um, like, electrified him and so all the blue sparks were there. And Man, and just everything looks so damn good. <laughs> Um, so anyway, they, you know, he blows them up, they kill the crate dragon. Um, so Dan earns the armor and he's going to take it back to the Mandalorians. And hopefully we'll see Cobb Vanth again. I can see him, you know, like if they have to have a team up, um, kind of like how it happened at the end of season one, maybe he'll be part of that. Uh, the same people, you know, get to harvest the mead, they get the pearl, 
that was a big chunk of meat they kept. Um, they'll keep they'll keep tiny fed for a while. <clears throat> oh, I did like the um, you know tell your people I wasn't the one who broke that about the backpack. Um, so then I speed off into the sunset of the two suns, the beautiful shot. And you know the whole time I'm thinking, are they gonna are they gonna show Popa? Are they going to make it back to the ship? Are they down on Tatooine? But sure enough, there is somebody standing there watching Din on his speeder bike. And tomorrow Morrison is back. And yes, I know there's a chance he's, it's a clone, but it's Boba Fett. That with it. Well, because think about it, you know, Boba aged naturally. So he's about 42 in this episode where the way clones were manufactured, like like if it was Rex, uh, they're close, they're, uh, figured double the age, so about 80-something. And then, you know, Tamora Morrison's in his 50s, so he, he could play it either way, but it's, yeah, it's Boba. So, you know, what's he been up to? Anyway, I've seen speculation that he's lived with the sand people because he's got the gaffy stick, he's got a sniper rifle. Is that Fennec Shan's rifle? Was he the one who walked up on her last season? Uh, we, we still got to answer that. Um, yeah, there's just so many questions now with Boba. You know, like, why didn't he... How did he get separated from the armor? Why didn't he tried to get it from Cobb Vanth earlier, did he, you know, did he see that Cobb was using it for good, which, by the way, I thought, I thought that was neat, that they kind of went against a kind of a traditional trope where, you know, I could easily see the story being like, he gets the armor, saves the town, but then gets drunk with power because he has that armor and then kind of rules the town with an iron fist. But no, they they didn't go that direction. They went with, you know, um, he feels like he earned the armor uh, protecting the people and then gets to the point where he realizes he doesn't need it to continue to protect them. And he, he turns out to be a very noble character. So I hope Ollie Fantastic comes back to play him more. So, you know, maybe that's why Boba didn't go after the armor so far. Does he even care about it? Is he like, wait a minute. You know, there's this other Mandalorian. Um, I mean, does, you know, is that the last we see of him this season? Maybe, um, maybe it's like one Tatooine episode per year kind of a thing. Um, keep in mind, you know, we don't see him return to the Razor Crest at Pelly's garage, so it is that like the beginning of next episode and then she sees that armor she's like wait a minute that guy that was belonged to a bounty hunter who frequented Moss Eisley years ago you know maybe she knows the story or is it like you know, we pick up his next step of the journey next week we don't know um I kind of like the uncertainty so who knows you know with chapter um, 10, what we're going to get. 
Yeah, so that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I hope we get more Boba Fett. Um, maybe he comes like a secondary villain this fall or this season. Uh, yeah, just just so good. This episode was awesome. Um, I don't know what else I can say right now, but I mean, it's only a season premiere. We've got seven more episodes to go. So buckle up. Um, but we'll, yeah, we'll be back next week with another review. Um, I'll be watching it with a little Han Friday morning, so he'll have more to say. Um, but until then, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Dakar, R A D I O D Q A R. Um, you know, always, um, always like to hear what you think about it. Um, maybe I'll put up more surveys during the season. Um, all the previous Radio Dakar episodes and reviews and interviews are on most major podcast platforms, um, mostly through Anchor, um, the Anchor app, anchor.fm, but um, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, whatever you use. Um, but we will see you for an the chapter 10 review very soon but until then may the force be with you